episode of the shamrock i'm pete sampson joined by matt fortuna uh i think since our last podcast notre dame has sort of come to the brink of shutting down and now seems to be coming back uh yeah resurrected perhaps more, I, 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 I hesitate to say coming back online because they are currently online uh with remote learning but i matt i feel like you know, if we had done this podcast a week ago, it, it probably would have been pretty bleak about the prospect of Notre Dame actually playing football. Uh, Father John Jenkins closes down the school for to remote learning after a spike in positive tests. Um, you had football pausing um, somewhat awkwardly with you know how that how that came out. Uh, now things seem to be sort of back on track, moving towards Duke. But I mean, you. You had a story on the Athletic Day talking to Mac Brown, Dave Clawson, both coaches who, uh, in theory, will be coaching against Notre Dame this year. And there, there does seem to be a pretty steady optimism around the league that the the season will kick off. Maybe not for everybody on time, but for a lot of people on time. Yeah, it's all really in the eyes of the holder. I think um, it was interesting to write that story and to hear those coaches speak that way on the same day that. Uh, an opener already got moved, NC State and Virginia Tech, because of uh, an outbreak at NC State's athletic department, uh, is moving their opener from September 12th to September 26th. Very easy fix for those programs because they had a mutual early buy date, uh, which would be cause for concern under most circumstances. But then you hear Mac Brown say, quote, seeing the NC State game being moved is a positive, that people are still trying to make this craziness work out so we can play, end quote. And in a backwards way, I kind of agree with him. I mean, I spoke to someone uh, from the Pac-12 last week who basically said, you know, if they haven't stopped now, the the three leagues still playing, there's no logical reason why they would stop at this point. They're going – they've made their intentions clear that they're going to do everything humanly possible to make this work. Now, uh, I think the definition of make it work is open-ended. some people think just getting to kick off an opening week is is a cause for celebration and saying, hey, we did it. Uh, but but there's still a lot of games and a lot of season to be played after that. And I think that's still uh, very much up in the air as much as everything else in this country is right now, given the state of affairs. Um, but I, I've looked at this thing kind of the same way I looked at Tommy Reese becoming Notre Dame's offense coordinator. I just thought that was inevitable. Uh, Brian Kelly dragged his feet on making that hire he went to florida tommy reese interviewed with oregon he interviewed with <laughs> northwestern it was like oh my god maybe this won't happen but in the end it, it happened i felt that way about notre dame and, and college football in general not playing this year i just thought it was inevitable that like they were not going to make this work but as we sit here now on whatever the date is august 27th basically two weeks from opening kickoff um i'm with uh, the pac-12 guy <laughs> i mean if, if they haven't stopped now I don't know what would get in the way of them um, of them playing right now, uh, barring an uprising uh, of players or, or, or some other matter. But I, I, they're pretty set on playing, and I, I think as of right now, and uh, as Mac Brown also said, 2020 is a year where 100% changes in an hour and a half. Um, so don't hold me to this beyond an hour <laughs> and a half. But, yeah, I do think – Week one is looking pretty good right now. Yeah, and it's you know, there's still a lot to be sorted out. It's a it's amazing to me that even 
maybe it shouldn't be amazing to me that in a sport with such a lack of central leadership um, that we still don't know, okay, what qualifies for a postponement? What qualifies for a delay? How many players are caught in contact tracing or self-isolation would trigger that? How many coaches? Um, that there's, there's not a, a clear understanding in the sport of like, you know, what that means. Um, you know, for, from Notre Dame's perspective, I think they've been okay so far, um, you know, in, in terms of their positive tests. Um, a week ago they had five and I, I believe six or an additional six caught in contact tracing. Um, they haven't announced any testing results from either Friday or Monday. Um, I believe that they're going to move to sort of a weekly release on that. But you know, what you know, you, you see Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma talk about, hey, we had a position wiped out other than one person. Um, he, de- he declined to name the position other than to say that more than one player would have played. Uh, at once it's so it's you know it's not quarterback um i think lsu had a basically it, it ran rampant through their offensive line meeting room um you know what what qualifies is is not playing i you know i, I asked brian kelly about this um you know one of the the few times he sort of had a, a give and take with media over the summer directly is that he he his position was there there isn't going to be um a number. It's not going to be five, 10, 15. You're just going to have to play with what you have. If, if that means you have walk-ons, if that means you have to have guys change positions, then in his mind, so be it. I don't, I don't think he saw it as, you know, the, I think sometimes that's argued as a player safety issue um, where you don't maybe want to walk on getting his head beat in by, um, you know, you, you don't want to walk on it against Clemson's defensive line. If, as if Notre Dame would be starting a walk-on offensive tackle then. But I, I'm not really sure. I, I, I don't know how you sort of see that as like what would trigger a postponement or a cancellation. I'm with you. I mean, I think whether it's the conferences or the NCAA, which is completely powerless right now with everything clearly. <laughs> the what? Canceled everything else, yeah. Uh, I think they're in your state, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, I think there has to be some kind of language or protocol uh, for the exact situation you mentioned, particularly with the offensive line. Like, that's like – it's not like receiver where it's like, all right, throw someone else out there mm-hmm. to catch passes. If you're down your entire offensive line room in LSU, I think was down to four of them, uh, according to reports yesterday. Like, I don't know how you play a football game. Like, I don't yeah. know how, like, that's healthy and safe to do, especially at the Power 5 level. Uh, so I think there has to be some kind of guidance there where – if you do your Friday testing, and we don't know what the days yet for testing will be, the the SEC and Big Twelve have both said they'll do three times a week in season. The ACC has not officially said that yet, although everyone thinks eventually yeah. it will and go. Yeah, Brian that Kelly way. has referenced like testing yeah. three times for Dabo week. and Mac Brown have said the same as well. I think that will eventually happen. I just don't know what days of the week it'll be. But regardless, Thursday, Friday, whenever that last batch of tests uh, get taken. If you find out your offensive line's gone, <laughs> I mean. I don't know how you what play. What do you do? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you play. I mean, I think it's it's different if, okay, Notre Dame, you know, we're. I think a lot of people sort of view the situation as like, okay, what if Notre Dame against Clemson finds out that, you know, it's Eichenberg, Book, Hamilton, Owusu-Koromoa, uh, Hayes. You're really embracing 2020 yeah, here. I'm Pete. just saying, like, because that, that was the scenario Brian Kelly was thinking about when he talked about it. He said, like, what if it's your 10 best players? Well, 
you you just have to push forward. But that's different than what if it's your entire offensive line? Um, well, I think there's a competitive standpoint and there's an actual health and safety standpoint. Right. Yeah. Two and different. They, in the competitive standpoint, I think you're just sort of you go with what you got. Right. Um, but at some point, there has to be a threshold from a health and safety standpoint, and you know, maybe that is simply. The off, like I don't know what other position would really qualify as a health and safety sure. position other than the offensive line. Pretty much everywhere else, I think you would just have to sort of deal with it. Um, but your offensive line is where I think you would be maybe defensive start. line. I, I maybe, guess. yeah. It's just like I mean, I would feel differently if you know a defensive line got wiped out and Notre Dame still had Quentin Nelson. Um, you know that would. Well, not, so they could just stand there. They don't have to yeah. actually like maul them. Like dive down on the ground. Um, I I don't know. I don't know how that will work, but I. I think we're we're of the mindset. I I don't know if you feel this way exactly, but I'm I'm as optimistic that Notre Dame is going to play and open as I have been probably since our last podcast a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I would agree completely. Um, I mean, if they haven't shut down now, I, I, again, I don't know what's going to change things. I'm curious, and you would know this probably better than I do, um, giving your university contacts. I mean, it was our understanding they had room to quarantine. I think 500 people when yes. they brought students back. Uh, the tracker will be updated by the time this podcast posts, but as of right now, it's 496. Um, I know the curve, if you will, has been a little bit flattened and, and stemmed, and the positivity rate is not nearly as high right now um, as it was about a week ago when everyone was seriously concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's what's the game plan here? Is it, all right, we flattened the curve, everyone come back to class, and two weeks from now, we might have to do this all over again. Or what, what, what's kind of their their plan of attack here? Yeah, I mean, I think that they are prepared not to do it all over again. Exactly. Um, I do think that there's a, a fear of God has been put into the student body, or at least most of it. That ah, okay, that we could actually be sent home. I think that the talking to administration contacts that I have, um, you know, as much as the off-campus parties are a real concern among the seniors. Um, and those those people could be in line to be booted. Um, the freshmen on campus that was a problem on opening weekend, as it is everywhere at every college forever. Um, but as as I think is also true, after that first weekend, um, you sort of tone it down a little bit if you're a freshman on campus, um, and that that would be true even if you weren't being threatened to be sent home. So I thought to me the most Noteworthy thing um, by far that has happened at Notre Dame beyond just the numbers going down is what um, the university provost said uh, on Friday. They sort of had a a bit of a, I guess I would call it um, sort of a a Zoom talk with uh, Mark Fox, who is sort of the St. Joseph Joseph County Health Commissioner, who is very intimately involved in what's working and what's not working at Notre Dame. Uh, and then they also had the, the university provost, uh, Marie Lynn Miranda. And I thought, I mean, this is, to me, she says, quote, unlike March, the decision for us today is not a zero-one decision. It is not keep everyone here or send right. everyone home. There are lots of places in between. And, you know, going back to your story in the ACC, I, I felt like Bubba Cunningham got into that as well, um, where, you know, look, it's not – this doesn't have to be a situation where um, – Everyone leaves. Maybe grad students stay. Uh, maybe first years stay. Certainly, we're this is a podcast about Notre Dame football. Athletes stay. Uh, international students stay. Uh, and then you sort of you know work to figure out the rest of it. I 
it seems like there's there's a lot of middle ground, and that's where my optimism about Notre Dame actually playing comes from. Because a week ago, when I was doing radio shows, and the question was, "Do you think Notre Dame would play if no students were here?" and I'm like, "They should, but I don't know if they will." Um, now this this is sort of gray area being introduced makes me feel so much more confident that they'll find a place where they can feel good about playing football even if the school isn't fully open you, you can name drop it and admit you left me for the audible last week the bigger <laughs> podcast on um, and the uh, paul feinbaum show i'm just saying <laughs> oh yeah. wow john hayes is working overtime yeah. for you right now i gotta talk to him after yeah. um i'm more optimistic now than i was last week absolutely uh, i think that's still kind of the million dollar question is knowing the way that university operates and knowing how it it always kind of apologizes for its football success, if you will. There's mm-hmm. certainly a segment of, uh, of of people in positions of power on that campus who uh, will, will always go out of their way to, to, to not credit the football team for all they do. Um, I, I do think that's the million-dollar question is will – if they decide – if they find themselves in a situation where they have to go remote for the entire semester, um, are they okay with keeping – football players and other athletes on campus and let them go on with their seasons. And I think the answer uh, is I, yes now. I think – I'm with you. I think they should. Um, I still think that's a big leap for certain people there to make publicly when they're fully pressed up against it. But I do agree that they should because it's not like they haven't been there um, alone, you know, at other times of the year regularly. Yeah, I th- um, to me it's a, it's a disappointing lack of conviction for people around Notre Dame if you're not comfortable coming out and saying that. Um, there's no reason not to. I mean, just own it. We're in the middle of a freaking pandemic. Um, I, that's, that's another thing that's sort of irked me about this whole situation is when people talk about the precedents being set during this time. Like, there are no, there are no precedents being set in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, what happens this fall doesn't mean it needs to happen in the spring or next fall or the fall after that. I think everybody's just trying to get through this season, whether it starts in September or whether it starts in January, and then we can sort of readjust from there. But I, I don't think Notre Dame needs to look at us like we've, we've sort of compromised our academic principles because we kept athletes on campus at a time when not 100% of students were allowed to be there. I agree completely. I just keep coming back to, and by the way, I was going to ask you about the non-conference situation, which I see you've tweeted. So we'll we'll get to Charlie Jr. um, (laughs) in a bit here. I keep coming back to to this this is a story I like to share with people to try to uh, shed light on, on kind of the way that place operates and how different it is. Two years ago, I think I was uh, at a uh, Notre Dame networking event, uh, for the players organized by Ron Palace for a story I was working on. And a bunch of the, he brought back a bunch of players from his era and from other eras to come and speak to the players about life after football and the professional opportunities they may have. And um, a bunch, a big group went out to Aurora's brothers, you know, Eddie Street after it. I was with them. And that same day, late afternoon, I want to say after five o'clock, and this was a Friday, was when the university. Uh, announced that they were uh, breaking ground on the indoor practice facility for the football program. And that was kind of the talk of the group as we were having drinks. And it, they said, does anyone have a release on them? I said, yeah, I have it on my phone. And next thing you know, they're passed around my phone and a bunch of them are shaking their heads. And I'm like, what's wrong? And they're like, there's so much wrong with this this announcement that we can't even begin to, to properly speak about it. What are you talking about? 
they're like, count how many paragraphs before they actually mention the world word football here. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, they mentioned both soccer teams in the same breath as football. And rec, and by the rec way, league they, sports, they, right? They announced this on a Friday afternoon when you put bad news, and they had the university announce it, not the athletic department. And they were like, do you have to apologize for our success every single time? We're not all criminals. Like, we're not all in this school just because we can play football. We bring a lot of value to this university, and we would appreciate if you guys quit apologizing for it when you yeah. you probably don't even have a university if you don't have a football program that's been uh, the most popular in the nation for over 100 years. Uh, so just being a fly on the wall for that experience has always kind of colored my perception of – uh, the, the push and pull, if you will, between the academic and athletic arms at, at Notre Dame. And I know that was a specific group of people uh, that probably doesn't speak for every football player who's ever been at Notre Dame, but it was very, very enlightening and telling to, to see that uh, conversation unfold right in front of me uh, over something as uh, silly as a, a practice field announcement. Uh, so that's why I always come back to, well, if they keep bending over backwards to say we're more than football, we're more than football, we're more than football, uh, would they give in, if you will? And I'm with you. I mean, it's it's 2020. Nothing is normal right now. The football team has been models for behavior. Um, their testing is great. The, the coaches have been smart about it. I mean, they've done everything right to earn the right to play. It would be a shame if it got pulled away from them because of some backwards principled stance that may have worked 100 years ago but doesn't work now. But – Notre Dame in some ways does hold the cards to all of college football right now because I think <laughs> if Notre Dame does say no, there would be enough in the ACC to go on board with them, I think. You think so? I, I figured the yes. ACC would just be like, well, okay, you're out. We'll just reshuffle our schedule. No problem. Mm, at this point, maybe if they weren't all in for this year on football, I think there are enough quote-unquote like-minded institutions that are, are on the fence right now in the ACC. Uh, and I think uh, you read the quotes by uh, one coach from Charlottesville, Virginia, in my story. Uh, it becomes very apparent that, you know, there's, there's still some hesitancy there. Uh, but but I, I think there are enough where if Notre Dame says, uh-uh, aside from the scheduling uh, conundrum, they would put the league in two weeks before the season. I think there would be enough to say, you know what, we need to look at this too. And Let's face it, that's the swing vote, right? Majority is going to rule. If a third Power Five conference says no, uh, I think the other two would have no choice but to to fall in line as well. But that's the kind of like big picture house of cards. Notre Dame is at the center of everything, as always, (laughs) takeaway. I think think one of the things that was maybe lost by me, at least, in sort of the debate a week ago about like, okay, is Notre Dame going to go or not, um, was if they pull the plug, I figured the ACC would continue on. They just redo their schedule again. And unlike the Big Ten and the Pac-12, there's no spring schedule because your league already played. Um, Notre Dame would be the only school not to play any season at that point, which is uh, that that is a a scary proposition, I think, if you're Notre Dame. I think if Syracuse said we're not playing, the ACC could say, okay. I think if Notre Dame says it... You think the ACC would be like, ooh, God, we got to shut everything down? No, but I think if Notre Dame came out and said it, then maybe Virginia or Duke or someone else says it. And then mm-hmm. you that I think once that toothpaste is out of the, the, the bottle, so to speak, everyone starts talking about it. I mean, right now it's play, play, play. 
Duke's infectious disease specialist who's been all over the place with these things publicly, as most medical experts have been, has said, we're fine to play. So we're playing. Like, yeah. no questions asked. Notre Dame says we're not playing. All right. They're a leader in college athletics. And we as the ACC like to think of ourselves as one of, if not the leaders from an academic standpoint in college athletics. What, what are we doing here? Let's have a conversation. We have a lot of smart schools here beyond Notre Dame. Um, and if they're saying they're not playing, then I think we need to at least listen to them. Shall, shall we talk a little bit about the, the practices that we have not seen? Um, with, with Notre Dame's training camp, it has been uh, by far the hardest to cover ever because we haven't seen a single minute in person. No uh, sunscreen required. Yeah, but I, that, I do not miss the first day Culver Academy's scalp burn that uh, I've come accustomed to on the first weekend in August. But, I mean, as far as Notre Dame goes, you know, the player, the, the standout player by far, who's um, the new, uh, new roster addition, is by far running back Chris Tyree. Uh, and I know you've heard some good things about him. I've heard some good things about him both sort of publicly and privately um and i so i guess it gets to the point of like can notre dame fast forward one of these elite freshman skill position players in a way that sometimes has worked jalen smith oftentimes is not um what how do you sort of see that playing out because to me when i was on the audible last week and feldman was like what because he asked you know do you see notre dame as a playoff contender do you see them as a championship contender i was like i don't see them as a championship contender but i see them as a playoff contender and he's like would it you know would it change your opinion if chris tyree was sort of the next bryce love and i was like yeah that would that would really move the needle for me if i was uh if i was sort of handicapping notre dame's ability to, to make a serious run yeah i'm optimistic i was optimistic go to it because i just thought the, the carries were there for the taking you have a running backs coach who's done a tremendous job everywhere he's been as far as developing breakout game changers. And the fact that we're both hearing really good things about him independently, um, privately, I think it's good because there's always a flavor of the month in spring ball or fall camp where Brian Kelly or whomever's talking, like this is their guy. And they're going to overhype this guy and he's inevitably going to disappoint. We've seen it so many times. There are so many spring MVPs in Notre Dame who I like couldn't even tell you what they're doing right now because they were just you know overhyped by the coaching staff publicly. The fact that that's not happening publicly <laughs> gives me more <laughs> confidence in that this is the real deal. And I think you know you went down there and did a big story on him when he was being recruited. Um, we we know what the accolades are. We know what the holes on this roster are, and what is there for the taking. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised to hear that Chris Tyree is having the kind of camp that he's having because I, they need him to if they yeah. want to make a deep run here. And I think it's it's interesting to me, to me the way of the praise has been couched um, over the last couple of weeks. It's it's sort of been, yeah, we we knew he was good, but we weren't sure. Like, is he just sort of like that that you know all purpose back who we're giving the ball to on jet sweeps, um, you know, that we have to throw it to, who's you know, sort of like a gadget player. And the reaction was like, no, he is rocked up, you know, lower body strength, can take a pounding. Um, I don't think Notre Dame was really uh, confident in that until Chris Tyree showed up. Which he, Chris Tyree actually played fullback a little bit early in his high school career just based on the 
the way his ros- the roster was put together. They had a, a guy who a senior running back who went to play in the FCS level, but it um, I think it just sort of speaks to he's been even better than what they hoped and ultimately those are the guys that get on the field a lot as freshmen the guys that um the coaching staff knew were good in recruiting but then those those kids come in and they're even better than expected by the way as we talk boston college has put out a statement saying they will not practice today in response to racial injustice in the country uh don't be surprised if we see a lot of that today including from notre dame um yeah i agree I just think that's – you can't avoid it in the sports world right now. And to see a, another like-minded institution, if you will, like Boston College come out and say that, uh, I, I – we talked about the coronavirus concerns and everything else, but there are a lot of other concerns going on in our country right now that I think are on the minds of a lot of the uh, college football players and don't think those won't be weighed heavily as well into – whether we get a full football season this fall or not. Uh, but I would say I saw a BC football statement uh, come in my inbox right now. My immediate thought was, please don't tell me they shut down or had an outbreak because they've been like Notre Dame, the gold standard as far as testing and keeping mm-hmm. everyone safe. Uh, but just wanted to pass that along real time uh, as we hear it. The other guy I've heard good things about, back to football, <laughs> Brendan, Brendan Clark. Awkward segue. He's not going to unseat the book, I don't think. Uh, but I've heard he's like a very, very, very capable number two so far, uh, which we don't know if they've had that in a couple of years. Uh, and I think is is, is got to be a cause for comfort, especially in a season three, like this one. Three years uh, ago, they had where, it. Uh, <laughs> Ian Buck? Yeah. Uh, it's got to be cause for comfort uh, when you're entering a season of uncertainty where we've already put out every scenario possible about you could be without this guy, you could be without that guy. You're going to need to develop depth uh, to have a – backup quarterback you can trust I think is good I agree I mean it's uh you know the clips I mean we've probably seen five total 11 on 11 clips um that Notre Dame has put out Uh, you've been dissecting those much more than I have yeah I I will fully cop to that uh I I, yeah it's very granular uh Zipruder film type stuff for me but I mean, Brendan Clark has been in some of those, and I, I understand there are highlights for a reason. Something good happened, but um, he's got – he can whip it. Um, there was a pass that uh, he threw over the middle to Lawrence Keyes for a touchdown who beat Sean Crawford uh, where he put the ball over a linebacker. I think it was Maris Leifau, um who was jumping up to try to tip it. You know, that, that kind of throw is is difficult to make where you put – just enough and take just enough off um, to get it where it needs to go. I mean, that's not really the kind of throw that Brandon Wimbush was able to make. Um, so for Brendan Clark to be able to do that, I, I think is really significant. I mean, and it would be significant even if we weren't living in uh, the time of COVID-19 because I don't think Notre Dame really knew what its backup quarterback was capable of um, you know, when, the, when spring practice started. So to get all the way there and feel – feel positive about it i think is is really significant i agree completely uh i want to talk usf because you that story also just or that that news just also officially broke as we were uh recording no one knows the weiss family better than pete sampson (laughs) uh who went down uh to tampa after charlie jr's hiring as the Bulls offense coordinator um, and had a really, really good story. And I'm sure has a lot of other takeaways that may or may not be applicable to this game, but 
I'm interested in hearing. Um, I, I, I think as far as a group of five non-conference opponent, um, if we're not talking Navy, this is is interesting from a storyline standpoint, uh, both the program and the personnel as it gets. I think the last time they played, it was Skip Holt coaching. Now you've got Charlie Weiss Jr. Um, we'll, we'll may or may not be working on our oral history of the 2011 USF Notre Dame game, which is the like game. Is, a, is that a promise or a threat? Oh. <laughs> My first game covering, uh, which was interesting, really, really uh, talk about earning your stripes, getting a quarterback switch at halftime and having a three-hour weather delay and a 3-9 team upset a top 15 preseason team. That was that was something. Um, but what, what can you tell us about Charlie Jr.? I, I think this is a really, really cool like story. I mean, people are going to make their jokes and they're going to laugh or whatever, but, I mean, it sounds like they couldn't be any different. Um, and, like, this kid is a wonderkin. I mean, he's – you don't become an offense coordinator uh, at multiple stops at his age uh, unless you know what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's uh, it was fun to spend some time with him. Um, he's so for from the small world. His he went to the same grade school, middle school that my kids go to. Hmm. Um, some of the teachers remembered him there, uh, thought really highly of him. Uh, I know talking to people that knew him um, in high school here. You know, it's there's a his first two years at in seventh and eighth grade there was 15 and 16 where everyone loves you when your dad's team is going to BCS bowls. And then it's three years of high school here where, when the team went three and nine, uh, six and seven and six, and then six and six. So much less, uh, an enjoyable time there. It, it sounded like it was pretty brutal. Um, and you know, that was something that Charlie jr. And Charlie senior mentioned is like, if you want to get into coaching, this is this is part of the life um, to deal with this kind of crap coming back at you. Um, you know, and I think Charlie Senior still holds, um, I think, a decent amount of bitterness about how that was handled with Notre Dame um, because Charlie Junior was going to Notre Dame. He had been admitted and then ended up going, you know, following his dad to Florida and transferring to Kansas. Um, you know, essentially was it working as a GA as an undergrad. Um, and kind of got on the coaching path very, very quickly. Um, you know, there's probably some fun parallels to, to Tommy Reese there about just sort of being around college football from a very young age. And, you know, it's, I didn't think that story would be as applicable as it's going to be. Um, you know, because I wasn't You got expecting. on a plane and flew and yeah. talked to someone in person? <laughs> I know. It's like now it seems, it seems like a totally warranted expense for the athletic that I went down there. Um, since Charlie Weiss Jr. is coming back here. But, um, yeah, I mean, he spoke very highly of Reese. Um, says, you know, really rooting for Tommy. Um, you know, he said, you know, the way Notre Dame ended was not how anyone would have wanted, but he got a lot out of it, positive and negative. Um, you know, he's – I think when people see him on the sideline or in the box, you will not you will not recognize him from – kind of the pudgy kid who was in middle school and high school here holding up play cards or, um, you know, personnel cards on the sideline. Uh, I think he sort of looked at some of the, the negativity that came back at him as motivation to like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get my stuff together here. He played high school football as a senior, um, in Kansas, met his wife there. Um, you know, didn't play a lot, but he was a receiver said he just really enjoyed being part of a team in a different way there. So it's, I just, I always find co- coaches' kids 
for all the the privilege and uh, advantages that they have, it's a hard life. Um, no, it's yeah. I, I, I would yeah. It's just like I wouldn't it, wish it. It can really screw you up mentally. Um, so the fact that uh, Charlie Jr. came out the other side with a healthy perspective, I I think is absolutely incredible um, because. If there was if there was one kid of one Notre Dame coach who could have been completely screwed up yeah. by being the son of a Notre Dame coach, he was the one, and it didn't happen. Um, he came out the other side in it with sort of a, a healthy understanding, and he was able to take away from Notre Dame stuff that has helped him develop into the coach that he is now. No, I couldn't agree more, and I think you know it's not unlike a lot of professions in that, like you know you want to follow your parents and they'll say, don't do this. I wouldn't wish it on you. I mean, different story for another day, but my father in the restaurant business was just like, from the time I could walk and talk was like, don't do this. Don't do this. Too stressful. Uh, but you hear it with coaches, kids. It's don't do this. Don't do this. And you know, either it's okay. I won't do it. I don't want to do it. Or it's no dad. I want to do it. I want to do it. And they get everything thrown at them humanly possible as Charlie Weiss Jr. Did. And, you come out the other end still wanting to do it. I mean, it really, really, really tests your love for the game and for the profession. And I was going to say the parallels for Tommy Reese that both are offense coordinators who will be meeting each other in this game and may one day be fighting to become the next head coach at Notre Dame in the not too distant future. But from a playing standpoint, I mean, I don't know if anyone ever took more abuse from their own fans than Tommy Reese did and never stopped him from being around football or enjoying Mm -hmm. his time around Notre Dame or getting into coaching immediately after and coming right back to Notre Dame immediately and becoming an offensive coordinator at the age of 27, I think. I mean, it takes a rare, rare breed. And again, he's from a football family as well, so he knows how this works. But uh, it takes a really, really thick skin and a lot of maturity beyond your years to uh, survive, if you will, the, the stuff that those guys had to survive and, and to come back out and thrive the way they have been professionally. I mean, it's... I, I I think Marcus Freeman now the DC at Cincinnati he, he said when he wanted to get into coaching Luke Fickle and all of his other coaches at Ohio State don't do it don't do it there's not a more selfish thing you can do to your family than to become a college football coach because uh, you're never around them and you're traveling and moving all the time uh, and you know if you can get past all that and make that sacrifice and deal with it I mean then you really are cut out for this profession um, and not a lot are um, and I applaud those who are because it's 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 not easy. I mean, I have relatives who've done it at the high school level, and you know that doesn't require the recruiting and traveling, but mm-hmm. is every bit as stressful from a nine to five standpoint. And, and afterward, dealing with angry parents, um, it, it's tough. And Charlie Junior is a—it's a special, special story. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing what 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 happens when he he comes back. I mean, do we know about the fan situation yet for Notre Dame? No, I, that that could be announced today, um, but I expect it certainly by Monday that Notre Dame will announce uh, sort of its fan situation, I, and I expect it to be almost students only uh, with some faculty and staff. I, I do not expect Notre Dame to have uh, regular fans at the game that are outside of, I guess, the Notre Dame bubble or the Notre Dame community. So it's uh, that's not official yet, but that's my expectation. Um, so that. That will come out. I think also today, uh, not to get too inside baseball and media stuff, but Notre Dame's going to announce sort of their media policies for the season. Um, and if you're a listener who's following other ACC media policies, you probably saw Dukes with no media at all other than broadcast media and think, huh, okay, that, that'd probably be a little bit unnerving if you were a, a sports ball reporter. Uh, but I, I, 
expect Notre Dame to have media actually in the press box. We'll be actually covering the games. Um, so that's, that's good. I'm not sure what else will come of that, but, um, it, uh, it's all sort of part of moving closer to the season. I think even Notre Dame's, uh, I believe they're going to scrimmage on Friday, uh, or at least are scheduled to at the moment with officials. Um, so that's, it's kind of these are these are the markers of the season almost getting here. Like, how many fans will come to the game? Will media be allowed? These are not questions that uh, <laughs> not questions that I expect uh, to be talking about on August twenty seventh when I was supposed to be already in Dublin, Ireland. But here we are. It's oh weird, yeah, it's weird times. About that. <laughs> yeah. Instead, we we got a uh, God Guinness Notre Dame instead of God Country Notre Dame. <laughs> Here's some here's a fun preseason exercise because it wouldn't be college football without conspiracy theories. Do you think Dabo Sweeney told Jeff Scott to schedule this game to get intel on Notre Dame for later in the year? Mm. Um, I'm going to say no, but I think he absolutely will be getting a lot of intel yes, on I, Notre Dame from this game. <laughs> I agree. That is uh, 100% certainty. Although, I mean, it's not that long ago that Jeff Scott actually played Notre Dame. I mean, some of the personnel is the same, but... Uh, the cert- and the defensive coordinator is the same in particular. But that's going to be uh, as if Clemson needed another boost uh, in his preparation for Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say schematic advantage. No, <laughs> no. Hey, it's like someone, when I tweeted out Notre Dame's testing numbers being so good yesterday campus-wide, somebody said that Notre Dame had a decided schematic advantage against COVID-19. It's like, that, that's no, not, that, that that's, actually means the opposite of so what you're saying. So there will be no season. Yeah, yeah right? What do you say? Yeah, nobody, nobody wants to hear that. But um, – yeah, I think these are all just sort of steps of, of the season moving closer. Um, we will be back next week with our, with our next podcast. I don't know if we'll talk to any players before then, uh, but Brian Kelly is scheduled likely to be available on Monday. Um, and like you said, Matt, it's you know between what's going on with coronavirus, what's going on with social justice and Black Lives Matter, you see Notre Dame players tweeting about that and some of the responses coming back. Um, I think that will probably be a topic of conversation, uh, you know, with Brian Kelly on Monday as well. Uh, I'd be remiss not to shout out before we get off the air here. Uh, Brendan at Very Piratey, who made um, <laughs> some very interesting uh, photoshops about Notre Dame beat writers traveling to Charlotte for the ACC title game on December 12th. Uh, words don't do this justice. Go on his feed, find the picture. Uh, know that I bear a striking resemblance to Chicago native John C. Riley, and I'm shaking and baking with my friend uh, Ricky Bobby, aka Pete Sampson. Uh, the Wonder Bread hat looks phenomenal on you. I gotta say, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I was I I wasn't quite sure who was who. Uh, who was Will I Ferrell? I think the mustache means C. I'm I'm. It must the, be the right. Huge forearms. I think I could be wrong. Yeah, that's uh, you've been. Been on the Bruce Feldman workout plan there with forearms like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, a, that was an excellent Photoshop. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe that's how we'll have to get down to uh, Charlotte for the ACC championship game in stock cars. I, I look forward to our uh, our pregame dinner of KFC, Pizza Hut, and the always delicious Taco Bell. And thanking <laughs> our good Lord Touchdown Baby Jesus for uh, getting us there in one piece. That may be an improvement over press box food. So um, <laughs> that's it's something to look forward to. And it, I've said this on like pretty much every radio show that I've been on when they ask about like what do you think about Notre Dame in the ACC? What a shame it would be if Notre Dame didn't make it to the ACC championship game. I'm not saying Correct. they have to win it, but we have to see them play in it. Because um, if that doesn't happen, I just feel like it's a 
it's a once in a lifetime opportunity that we would have lost. I agree a thousand percent. So right. let's uh, load up, load up the the tank, and uh, get ready for that drive to Charlotte. Absolutely. All right, we will be back next week with our next episode of the Shamrock. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the Athletic for forty percent off at theathletic.com slash the shamrock um, if you gave us a rating a review and thank you for all that have done this over the last few uh, episodes that we've done where we've requested five-star reviews you guys have delivered so we appreciate that like chris tyree they are coming through in fall camp absolutely so uh, we appreciate you listeners and we will talk to you next week with our next episode of the shamrock